Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Bethan. And I'm Mark. Welcome back, everybody. Yes, welcome and thank you for joining us once again this week. Before we begin with this week's episode, we'd like to say a huge thank you to our newest Patreon supporters. So, Mark, would you like to say their names this week? Because I feel like I've done it a lot recently. You do generally hog it. So, yeah, I'm delighted to get the opportunity this week. So, we have Samantha Jones, Hazel Jewelry, Judith Hoffman, Sarah Akerson, Dee Molner, Carla Gibson, Rebecca Alexander and Amber. Thank you to each and every one of you. And, of course, a huge thank you also to all of our existing supporters on Patreon. The support you guys give us ensures that basically we are still here so thank you from both of us and if you want to join these guys all you need to do is head over to patreon.com slash seeing red podcast also before we start mark one of our listeners pointed out to me that i called the bayo tapestry the bordeaux tapestry <laughs> tapestry last month uh, last oh, week's episode. No. how ridiculous is that so who knows what i was thinking but it um, looks like it's spelled as if it's pronounced Bordeaux. No, no, it definitely looks like it is spelled Bayo. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so I'm just an idiot. <laughs> so that was just my mistake. That was just me. To be honest, thank you to everybody who got in touch following last week's two-parter, though, because loads of you did get in touch and commented and sent messages. Um, and that was really interesting. And a few people did try and, well, they did tag Amanda Knox and um, and see if we had reached out to her to get her take on this because she is really cooperative with these kinds of things but we just thought we did think about it before like we always would but actually we never do that really so why would we with that case um yeah it's an interesting question but it's just not something we tend to do um and then the final little note is that I will apologize that there is building work going on across the road from where I'm recording today which I don't think you're going to be able to hear um in the background But just in case you do, I promise it's not me, it's just some builders. So there we go. This week's case is one that I'm sure most of our listeners, at least listeners in the UK anyway, will be aware of. It's the story of a brutal attack on a young couple in an act of mindless violence prompted by little more than the way that they'd been dressed. And I can't find the messages at the moment. I've had a good look through. So I'm really sorry. I can't name check the listener who requested this week's episode. We were having a conversation and everything. So can't find the message. But please do give me a shout and I'll make sure you get a name check next week. But we were talking about our reasons for being interested in this case. And it is one that I needed that kind of push to cover. I've wanted to talk about it for a while, but I just never quite got to that point. So we're going to be talking about the murder of Sophie Lancaster and the attack on her and her boyfriend. So at the time of this case, I was just a few years younger than Sophie. I also dressed in an alternative style. I listened to bands. I had many friends who looked like Sophie and Robert, dyed my hair, I had piercings, and it was quite a shock to think that anybody would hate that so much that they choose to attack somebody over it. And I guess I think this case kind of hits home for anyone who's ever felt different as well. So Mark, I'll send you some pictures of what I looked like back then, because I feel like you'll probably laugh at me. But it just, I don't know, I think that's why it hit home for me, this episode and this case. Yeah, I, I completely understand. I think it's, we've all, or most of us, have a sense of values that mean there's a sense of injustice when somebody is picked on for something that they 
can't control or something really trivial. Almost when you see someone being bullied, it's it's so bothersome, isn't it? And I think this hits that sort of note for me. And I know you're going to talk about a case that we covered recently that it, it sort of reminds you of that and a few other cases. And I can see that 100%. Yeah, exactly. So we will talk in a little bit more detail later, but this does really remind me of um, cases like the murder of Gary Jenkins. So he was murdered in a Cardiff park in a homophobic attack. Stephen Lawrence, Gary Newlove, many others. So we will go on to that in a little bit of detail. But you're so right. It's that that bullying or that um, that sort of feeling that you ju- it is an injustice, and you just as an adult you just don't expect that to be a part of your life anymore. It feels like something that should just be left behind in the playground. Yeah, I completely agree. It's almost when a group of people single out one person or a couple of people for being different and really hone in on it and make it their mission to, yeah, just stop that person doing what they're doing, living their life. And sometimes stopping them means killing them. So it's just appalling. We see it time and again. We've seen it over our 200 episodes. I'd say a decent percentage of our episodes feature a similar theme to this, where someone has been singled out for a particular characteristic or trait and have been murdered as a result of it. Sophie Lancaster and Robert Maltby had been dating for a few years at the time of this week's case. They had met through a friend and had very quickly formed a deep bond. Robert later said of their relationship, we would see friends at weekends but day to day it was just the two of us. It was just Rob and Sophie. At the time, Sophie was just 20 and Robert just 21 years old. The couple lived together and they spoke often of their future together. Sophie was born on the 26th of November in 1986 and was in a gap year due to study English degree at college and Robert was in the midst of his art studies in Manchester. The pair have been described as both intelligent, sensitive kids and they lived in Bakeup in Lancashire in England. Between 1.10 and 1.20am on the morning of Saturday the 11th of August 2007, Robert and Sophie were walking through Stubby Lee Park, heading home. So the park is a large area with the usual things you kind of expect. So there's a duck pond, play equipment, your favourite thing, Mark, a football pitch. Oh, I love it. Yeah, thank you. Mm. <laughs> um, tennis courts. Not yeah, bothered about those either. For, for sport. Um, there's Stubby Lee Hall, which is a key part of Bakeup's history from the 19th century. And there's also a skate park through which the couple were headed. Following a reasonably amicable meeting at a petrol station where Robert was buying cigarettes, the pair headed into the park with a group of teenagers. They lived just 10 minutes walk away and it was not meant to be more than just a slight detour on their way home. But suddenly some of the members of the gang began to hurl abuse at the couple who tried to flee and then the attack became physical. The group first attacked Robert, knocking him unconscious before turning their attentions to Sophie. The gang, described in court as like a pack of wild animals, kicked and punched Robert and then stamped on his head until he was unconscious. And Sophie screamed for them to stop as she cradled his head on her lap, but they didn't stop and instead they began to stamp on her too. One of the witnesses, a 15-year-old, told police they were running over and just kicking her in the head and jumping up and down on her head. You just can't even imagine, can you? No, um, again, we've heard of similar before in multiple cases of gangs of youths. That pack mentality is absolutely there, that sort of real gang of them egging each other on. And also this this whole stamping on people's heads. When did that become a thing? Because we've come across that loads. And the damage that must do, obviously, 
I just can't imagine that. I can't imagine somebody stamping on somebody else's head and the damage it does is is ridiculous. And this sustained attack continued with the gang raining down blows on both of them until Sophie was also, also unconscious and the police later described their injuries saying it was a sustained attack during the course of which the pair received serious en- head injuries and their faces were so swollen we could not ascertain which one was female and which one was male. Not all of the gang got involved. Indeed, one witness did call an ambulance and the recording is um, reported as saying, we need an ambulance at Baycup Park. This mosher has just been banged because he's a mosher. But not one of them kind of stopped the assault or intervened. And then the perpetrators fled and they were boasting about the attack. One of them quoted as saying they had done some good. And a witness reported that one of the main attackers had even said to someone else, there's two moshers nearly dead up at Baker Park. You want to see them? They're a right mess. So what does mosher, what does mosher mean? So mosher is like a reference to the fact that these guys dressed in like a goth or like alternative sort of style. So moshing is like a dance that you do at a gig. So um, you've probably seen like at gigs and stuff where the band's on the stage and then there's like a group at the bottom and they're like spinning around and like going crazy and like smashing into each other. That's moshing. So they're kind of using it as like a derogatory term against them because that's what they looked like. And it makes it sound like already this attack has been motivated purely because of how they look already. You get in that sense, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. And this perpetrator had said they're nearly dead up at Baker Park. And that was correct. They were both so seriously injured. Both of them were rushed to Rochdale Infirmary. Robert Maltby's injuries left him in a coma with internal bleeding. And then Sophie also fell into a coma. Um, So Robert Maltby was kept at Rochdale Infirmary, but Sophie was then placed on life support. She was moved to Fairfield General Hospital at Bury before being moved to the neurology unit at Hope Hospital in Salford. Robert recovered from his injuries and he came out of the coma about a week after the attack. And obviously I say he recovered, he came out of the coma, but he had a really long way to go before he could get back to normal. And the injuries and the trauma had left him with really hazy memories of the night as well. He later spoke of how he emerged from the coma to discover that Sophie was dying from major head injuries and he'd kind of gazed at her and said to himself, what have we done to deserve this? He also said, I was fine until I saw her, but that was when I broke down. All I wanted to do was give her something, but all I had on me was a cheap watch that my granddad had given me, so I just took it off and gave it to her. If I could have, I would have ripped my heart out and given it to her and with any luck bring her back, but I didn't have it in my power. All I could think was, this isn't right, why is this happening? I couldn't see how I had possibly offended the world to have this happen. What had we done? Why aren't people who go out attacking people having to see their girlfriends about to die? She was my entire world and I'm not ashamed to say that. He also said, if they'd just hit me a couple of times, I could have accepted it. I could even have accepted if what happened to me had been even worse. I might not have survived, but you don't do that to a young girl. There are certain codes you have to live by as a man and the number one is you don't beat up girls. I just do not understand the mentality of someone saying, okay, we have beaten him up probably to death, so we'll beat his girlfriend up now. I really wish she'd legged it, waited until they'd left and then come back, and I wish she'd left me to die, if I'm honest. And you just think you can hear, like, the absolute heartbreak that this guy's going through, can't you? It's, yeah, the way that he's able to put that into words is really eloquent, and I don't know, also, just, he's obviously been in a coma for a week, sustained major injuries himself, lucky to be alive, on a road to recovery, which will be a long road. 
but as soon as he comes out of that coma and he's conscious enough, he is finding out, he's probably remembering what happened or being told what happened, and then he's facing the trauma that his girlfriend is dying and she is going to die very soon. It, I just can't imagine coming out of a coma and the realisation of what had actually happened mm-hmm. and what's still going to happen, i.e. my girlfriend is going to die. It's yeah. just unfathomable. It is, isn't it? It's just horrific. The park where the attack had occurred was quickly covered in floral tributes to the couple and online message boards were filled with comments and wishes for the couple as well as messages of support. Sadly, the staff at Hope Hospital determined that Sophie would never regain consciousness and 13 days after the attack, Sophie passed away as her family had to make the heartbreaking decision to turn off her life support. During the initial stages of the investigation, Lancashire Police arrested five people in connection with the attack and they reported that they had determined there had been about 15 to 20 people in the vicinity, that the couple's goth style of dress was one of the key reasons for the attack and that they were continuing to investigate all witness statements. On the 6th of September 2007, the five suspects were charged at Burnley Youth Court. So already you know how young they're going to be, but there was a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old who were remanded in custody, and two 15-year-olds and a 17-year-old were released on bail. So these are not, they're not adults, they're young as well, they're teenagers, but at the same time, they're definitely old enough to know what they're doing. The five were originally charged with grievous bodily harm with intent, but following Sophie's death, the Crown Prosecution Service charged all five of them with murder. And by the beginning of October, after questioning more than 100 people, the police concluded that they were not looking to arrest anyone else in relation to the case. They stated that whilst there had indeed been 15 to 20 other people in the vicinity, they believed that many were not directly involved. And after all, this was quite a popular hangout spot for teenagers. Um, They obviously knew that some of them had called for an ambulance, that sort of thing. So um, that was, they kind of were adamant then that this was the five that had been the key perpetrators of the attack. The park itself had been the subject of complaints by locals for a while, so residents who were fed up of the park being used as a meeting point by what they described as drunk and violent yobs had often made complaints about the vandalism, the antisocial behaviour and the underage drinking that had been going on. And they had asked for measures to be taken about the area before the attack, but following then the murder, there were increased calls on the council to address the problem. But frustratingly, the council said that nothing could be done because park rangers or security would just be too expensive. I I do understand where they're coming from, to be fair. I really do, because I don't know what the answer is. Parks will always have that problem. And we've, like the episode of Gary Jenkins, for example, in Butte Park in Cardiff, that park had a reputation and a lot of drug addicts would congregate in the park at night and that caused a lot of antisocial behaviour but what can you do you can't really lock up most parks and to put rangers in place would cost millions of pounds really over the course of a year so I don't know what the answer is but parks quite often do descend into chaos when when the sun goes down don't they and I completely agree when I was researching this I was trying to think like what could be done differently and I, I kind of get it it is really annoying and even if you were to lock the park and not have it as a walkthrough um, how easily that can actually be patrolled and policed I just don't know. Sophie's funeral three months after her murder was a public opportunity for mourning her funeral was attended by more than 300 people as well as members of the press and once again the online message boards were flooded with tributes to Sophie 
I'm going to go into her a little bit more detail about her legacy in a bit. But first of all, we'll kind of go on with the court case and trial. So on the 18th of October, and I did feel like this all happened reasonably quickly. I was quite impressed with how quickly the police were able to bring this case to trial and to get all the evidence they needed. I don't know about you, but I felt like it seemed to happen reasonably well. Yeah, if that's uh, yeah, because they were only arrested on or charged on the sixth of September. So is it October as in two thousand and seven? Yeah. So wow. this was um, the provisional sort of side of things. So on the eighteenth of October, they were summoned to appear at Preston Crown Court. Uh, yeah, and the preliminary hearing was held on the thirty first of October. But at this, they were all charged. So they were charged with the murder of Sophie Lancaster and grievous bodily harm with intent for the attack on Robert Maltby. And then a further plea and case management hearing was ordered by the judge for the 14th of December. And then the provisional trial date was set for March 2008. And at the hearing on the 14th of December, all five accused pleaded not guilty to any of the charges put to them. The judge did allow the names of all five to be released after the trial. So to kind of save on confusion here, I'm going to name them so you know who I'm talking about. But obviously, in reality, everything was kept quiet until afterwards does that make sense mark and is that okay definitely yeah, <laughs> i, I never really it. know if i should the trial began on the 10th of march 2008 and at this point all five boys pleaded guilty to grievous bodily harm with intent and then the murder charges were dropped for three of the group brothers joseph and danny holm and daniel mallet so there was another one called ryan herbert and he pleaded guilty to all the charges And then Brendan Harris pleaded guilty to the grievous bodily harm charge, but not guilty to murder. And Ryan Herbert and Brendan Harris were still charged with the murder. The other three um, had the lesser, in inverted commas, charge of grievous bodily harm with intent, um, but not murder. And the two that were charged with it were denying it, obviously. So Ryan Herbert uh, pleaded guilty to both. But Brendan Harris only pleaded guilty to grievous bodily harm and said not guilty to murder. Yeah. The trial focused on the extensive witness statements as well as a recorded phone call that had been made at the time. And the prosecution opened by telling the jury Sophie and Robert were singled out for not anything they had said or done, but because they looked and dressed differently. So the jury were told in detail about the attack how Robert had been repeatedly kicked in the head, which had caused bleeding in his brain, about how the gang had then turned their attentions to Sophie, stamping on her face so hard that a footprint imprint from the attacker's shoe had been left on her face. The jury was told about how their injuries were so severe that when the police arrived, they were unable to identify who was male or female, so that really highlighted the ferocity of the attack. And the list of injuries that the couple had suffered, the extensive hospital stays, this all just painted this tragic and horrific picture for the jury who had to decide the full guilt of those five teenage boys. And I wonder with those five individuals, so they're all charged with grievous bodily harm and two of them with murder, one's admitted murder, but I wonder how much remorse there was when they were sat in that court in the dock listening to the list of injuries that that couple had suffered at their hands and then the extensive hospital stays all of the testimony from Robert for example about waking from a coma and finding out that his girlfriend is literally dying hearing that must have really must have it must have been a massive wake-up call to them. You you would really hope, wouldn't you, that they would think, fuck, how, how did we possibly go so far? I really hope so. But I do wonder, with some of them, um, yeah, absolutely. And so at the conclusion of the trial, obviously, 
Herbert had said he was guilty, so it was more of like a sentencing thing with him, but Brendan Harris was also found guilty of murder. So the jury did determine that he was as equally culpable as well. Detective Superintendent Mick Gradwell of Lancashire Police said it was one of the most violent murders he had ever come across in his career, saying, I do not think Herbert and Harris have recognised how violent the attack was. They have just done it without thinking, but they seem to have enjoyed it and carried on remorselessly kicking at the two very defenceless people who were unable to protect themselves because of the level of violence inflicted upon them. I am very critical of some of the parents involved. I don't think they have taken completely seriously how repulsive this incident was. And he even said that when Harris was initially interviewed about the assaults, he was laughing and joking with his mum. And I thought that was quite um, a savage thing, isn't it? To like hear is that I actually am critical of some of the parents. You don't tend to hear that very often. Yeah, but good for the judge because are, are you surprised that the parenting has been below par and we've got a moron of a mum who thinks it's appropriate to laugh and joke when her son is being interviewed about assaults and basically murder even at that point it was likely to to be a murder charge at some point yeah I'm not surprised I dread to think what the parents were like because kids don't generally just turn out like this they have terrible upbringings and it's generation after generation after generation but yeah I'm not surprised but good on the judge for calling it out I think it is savage but yeah they're just yeah have no words for people like that yeah, because this was one of the detectives involved, and I just thought, like, yeah, fair oh play bad. for actually coming out and saying yeah. that. Yeah, definitely. So sentencing in the case took place in April 2008. So both Harris and Herbert were sentenced to life imprisonment, with the judge recommending that Herbert, who had pled guilty, should serve a minimum of 16 years and three months, and that Harris should serve at least 18 years. And the three others were sentenced for their roles in the attack. So the Holm brothers, Joseph and Danny, were sentenced to five years and ten months, and Daniel Mallet was sentenced to four years and four months. Robert Maltby was not in court when his attackers were sentenced, but a lawyer read out a statement saying, Before all this happened, I was settled into a life quite independent. Now I'm finding the whole world a terrifying place. But some some nice sort of side of this, he did, after quite a few years of treatment and therapy, move on with his life and completed his degree. And he even got to a point where he felt able to return to the park and he also visited Sophie's grave. So I found him really, really brave. And he talked years later about how he wanted to make sure he was himself, Robert the artist, not known as Robert, the boyfriend of Sophie, who'd been murdered. Um, And everything I've read about him really evokes feelings of how strong and resilient he is. You see someone who's had the support to recover. And considering he lives so near to where his life very nearly ended still, I'm just in awe of his strength to kind of come out of this and back from it. Yeah, it's... um... It it's just mad, isn't it? Because obviously, like you say, he very nearly lost his life. So he's trying to probably come to terms with the fact that it was on a knife edge and he absolutely could have died that night. And he's also then dealing with the fact that his girlfriend has died and that he was powerless to do anything. And also it's such a senseless attack as well. So it's going to have ramifications in your entire life and your outlook on every aspect of the world and what happens and how and why people can behave like this you're just going to question everything so he is massively resilient and to go back to that park and to revisit that as hopefully some some form of closure for him is incredibly brave you're right Mm. and in his closing remarks the judge um 
so you'll like this mark because the judge described the attack as feral thuggery which he said raised questions about the sort of society that exists in this country and was quoted as saying this was a terrible case which has shocked and outraged all who have heard about it at least wild animals when they hunt in packs have a legitimate reason for doing so to obtain food you have none and your behavior on that night degrades humanity itself so really harsh words But I did wonder, how much impact would that have had on these five? I wonder very much at all. And and also, you've got to look at it. So I think you said the youngest was 15 years old at the time of the attack. So even at sentencing, it is quick. It's only six months after the event. So they're still very young and probably not mature enough to really take that on board. So hopefully in time, this was obviously back in 2008 that they were sentenced. So hopefully over the last decade or so, they've really really felt deeply that actually yeah this was wrong and they've taken those comments on board and maybe hopefully been rehabilitated back into society but I don't think at 15 16 you would have the emotional maturity to accept responsibility for this and to learn from it I think you would still treat it as a joke these are feral animals they're they're not normal human beings so they don't think like me and you would and then add into the fact that they're young as well and probably quite emotionally immature because of their upbringings it's just a recipe for disaster so I'd love to know what became of, of certainly the three that were released after five years or so they've been back in our society for nearly a decade I'd love to know we'll, we'll probably never know and that's fine But it does make you think, did they go on to have a life of crime or did they feel genuine remorse for this and move on with their lives as a way of, I don't know, sort of making making it not for nothing? Yeah, Yeah. that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I will go on to it. But Ryan Herbert definitely seems to um, have treated prison as it should have been and seems to have come out of it the right way which I think is good. He seems to have made a lot of progress. But so Harris and Herbert, I can't remember which way around, but one of them was 15 and one of them was 16. And you're right, it's just just no age to then have this impact the rest of your life. No. It later came out that Sophie and Robert had actually been attacked previously too due to being different, but they hadn't taken their experiences to the police. So Sophie's mum later said, Sophie and Rob had actually been attacked three times previously, but didn't report it. They didn't tell me, they didn't tell the police. And I would like to think that there might have been a different outcome. Sophie's mum, Sylvia, set up the Sophie Lancaster Foundation in her daughter's memory and she spent the rest of her life campaigning. And she said, if you are attacked, you need to report it. Do you know, that is so true. And I I still think the one thing, the one positive I would say is that 15 years on from this, I think we're a much more accepting society and country. And I think we embrace differences there's a real drive around inclusivity and what that brings to organizations and to people's personal lives so I really think we've moved on from this but people do still get attacked people get mugged for example and we talked about that a few months ago and they might not report that because of the embarrassment it might be a man who gets mugged by a couple of teenage girls and he wouldn't then report that because he thinks that it the police are going to laugh at him, for example. So I still think it. I still think this definitely happens, and I still think there's a major problem with people not reporting serious crime like this and just brushing it off as as almost a, a bit of an escalation of what would have happened at school if you were bullied. But this is a real world, and people can't behave like that. They can't behave like that in school, and they certainly can't behave like that in the real world. So you must report it if if something happens. She is absolutely right, isn't she, Sylvia? 
Yeah, and that's why I really wanted to put that in. And it it kind of reminds me of, we've talked previously about how it can seem almost laughable when you hear of someone flashing and the flashes in the park and all of this. But if you don't stop that person at this early stage, they are likely to become a serial rapist. They are likely to become a proper, serious, horrific offender. And whilst them flashing their willy at you may seem a bit laughable at the time and I'm not saying it would be for everyone because for a lot of people that would be absolutely traumatic but it can sometimes feel like that I think this is similar I think you've been attacked in a verbal manner by this group of teens you don't know for definite that the next time they verbally attack you or someone else that it couldn't turn physical too and it might turn physical and not have a horrific outcome but it could end like this and so yeah I think even if it's something small that you don't think is is highly consequential. You may actually be putting a piece together for the police to stop someone yeah. who's a serial offender or to stop someone before they get really serious. And even with things like the antisocial behaviour laws that we have in place and the restrictions that can be placed on people for breaching that, it, there is a lot more now that can be done, even if people are just shouting obscenities at someone. You can go to the police and report that, and the police can actually do something about it and put an ASBO on that person. If they then breach that, they can have really serious consequences. So it is better now than it was, and that's the tragedy for Sophie and Rob, that it, it's too late for them, isn't it? Yeah, and certain police forces within the UK would see this sort of an attack as a hate crime, and I will go into more detail about that later, but... um it doesn't necessarily have to be racist or homophobic. Now, this kind of hate crime can be classed as the same in certain areas as well. So, um, yeah. In June 2008, it was reported that all five convicted were appealing against their sentences and the, the appeal was heard on the 7th of October that year. The results announced on the 29th. So Ryan Herbert had his minimum term reduced to 15 years and six months. So still life imprisonment, but with his minimum term. This was a reduction of nine months because the appeal judges ruled that not enough of an allowance had been made for his guilty plea at the initial trial. Do, do you know what, though? With that, I actually get that. I think that's actually yeah, quite fair. Yeah, I completely fair. understand. Because when you said the sentence for the guy who didn't plead guilty to murder but was found guilty of it, his his minimum sentence was 18 years. It was only, it was only two, two years more. Yeah. So I, I, I do actually agree with that. I do think there should have been more of a reduction for a guilty plea. Um, it's still appalling but and probably still not long enough. But the difference between the two sentences did need to be more vast than it was. Exactly. And then Brendan Harris, Joseph Holm, Danny Holm and Daniel Mallet all had their repeals dismissed. And then Ryan Herbert had his tariff cut further. Um, this was in February 2020 when a High Court judge concluded that he'd made exceptional progress in prison. So at that point, they reduced the minimum that he had to st- serve to 14 and a half years. So that so he's the guy he's the guy that pled guilty, isn't he? He is. Yeah, he pled yeah. guilty so- to both charges. Um, and they reduced it down then to 15 years and yeah. six months. And then they reduced it down to 14 and six months. So they kind of took off a year for making exceptional progress. And I thought that was a very interesting term as well. It's not just good behaviour, exceptional progress. Yeah, and I don't think they would ordinarily do that. 
when somebody comes up for parole, it would come in then and it would be, yep, yeah, great progress has been made so we can release this individual. But to have your, your sentence cut furthermore, quite late into it. So I suppose that's when he was released then in February 2020 or thereabouts, because he would have, oh no, it'd probably be another couple of years on top. It will, yeah. So um, this was 2008 that they were sentenced. So his total from 14 years would be, what would that be, 2020? 2022. Yeah. He's he's been out a few months then, probably. Potentially, yeah. The crazy thing for me is that this case was not some absolute one-off that we can think of as being some abhorrent but isolated incident. Just hours before this group of thugs attacked Sophie and Robert, 25 miles away in Warrington, Gary Newlove confronted a group of teens outside his home and was brutally set upon by them. An attack which his wife and daughters witnessed, an attack which he died from just two days later... So if you haven't listened to our episode about this case, please do go back and listen to season three, episode 22. But I couldn't get over that. It was... No. So this happened to Sophie and Robert at like one in the morning. And the the evening previously was when Gary had been attacked. So the next day after Gary was attacked was like in the morning, Sophie and Robert. And then the following day, Gary was, was then dying. And so the press had these two separate but very similar accounts in in the media at that time that is i wasn't that was a real twist and just 25 miles away as well two really significant cases happening within hours of each other and really sort of similar aren't they with these feral teens acting in that group mentality and taking things way too far yeah And the year was incredibly violent across the UK. In March of that year, Jason Spencer had been stabbed to death. And a week after Sophie and Robert were attacked, Rhys Jones was fatally shot in Liverpool. So a couple of other cases that people may have heard of or may know. And Rhys was just 11 years old and he was caught up in gang violence. So please do go back and listen to season six, episode three, if you haven't already listened to that case as well. The press quite rightly in my opinion, focused heavily on issues such as binge drinking, antisocial behaviour, knife crime, the idea that too many teenagers had their violent tendencies left unchecked, and the idea that our society was becoming broken. This was one that many people believed in and it was an issue that many felt needed to be addressed. So obviously we looked at Baroness Newlove when we looked at Gary's case and her campaigning, and we'll also look at Sophie's mum's campaigning as well that she did. Um... However, there's a really interesting side to this as well, and I wonder what your thoughts are. So a lot of press activity focused on the idea of this case as a hate crime, but Robert himself spoke out about the oversimplification of the motive for the attack on him and Sophie and said that he felt like the motives were not necessarily just to do with their appearance, but more broadly that these teenagers felt the need to kill. So he said to the media, I have never seen it as a hate crime. It was always like Sophie Lancaster was killed because she was a goth. No, she wasn't. She was killed because some assholes killed her. Why can't we ask what it is about them that made them want to murder someone? Not what it is about someone that made them be murdered. Yeah, I. to be honest, I think he's got a point, hasn't he? I think the press would naturally pick up on the fact that they were different or dressed differently and were branded as goths and that's why they've been murdered because that would pick up momentum but i think he he is probably right i think it it was referred to quite often at the time as broken britain wasn't it i think mm-hmm. and yeah, that was i think annoyingly the sun but i think that was like a campaign wasn't dicks. it yeah 
And I think, I think there was real concern within society about our society and particularly certain pockets of the country that had experienced lots of crime. And maybe there is something in it. Maybe there was something in that generation. Not all of them, obviously, but maybe there was something in the approach to school in the education system or, I don't know, some bullshit like youth clubs being closed left, right and centre at that time. I don't know, but there must have been something that caused uh, more people in that generation than generations before and afterwards to behave in this way because it's still an exception it's still rare but it was more common than I think it's ever been in any other time back then in the noughties yeah and speaking to the Guardian Robert had talked about the idea that they dressed in clothing that was classed as goth being the reason for the attack seemed a little bit too simplified so he said on the night of the in question, he had been wearing a green hoodie and blue jeans. So I think sometimes when we think about this case, you might imagine they're wearing leather trousers or studs or something like that. The pair had piercings, yes, and Sophie wore her hair dyed in, in dreadlocks and they wore makeup, but they weren't dressed totally outrageously. And he kind of felt like the media focus on their appearance in the aftermath of the crime felt like a form of victim blaming. He was quoted as saying, besides being patronising, the goth thing was also an oversimplification of a much broader social issue. He talked about how he felt like areas of poverty needed help. Life hadn't progressed in these poor areas, so there was dissatisfaction and stagnation. And he said, I've never tried to demonise the attackers, and in many ways, they were victims. Yeah, really, really interesting and... And for him Brave to, and- yeah, for him to be able to see it that way, because I think he's definitely right to a certain extent. They they were victims too. That's not to exonerate them of all of responsibility, but like I said, their upbringings would have turned them into the people that they were at that age, where they think they can go out and attack people. But I do think he's right. I think I think the press pro- probably picked up on the goth angle because it's an angle, and actually, you've got to look at it. He wasn't really wearing typically stereotypical goth clothes it was also dark so this group of feral thugs might not have even seen that the two were wearing makeup for example they clearly just weren't happy with their lives were a product of a shit upbringing and wanted to go out and cause destruction and kill basically and i think they i do disagree with you slightly in that they maybe didn't see because they're then bragging saying some moshers blah 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 so it has to have an, a bit of an impact on, on their decision-making. Not that that's the right Maybe. word. Maybe, yeah. But I do I do agree with, with Robert in a, a sense, and I agree with you that there is more to this. And just because you don't like someone doesn't mean you tend to go and stamp on their head, whereas these teenagers took it that much further. Yeah, even even with Gary Jenkins, I don't think that was purely a homophobic attack. I think that those people wanted to kill. They they wouldn't have been happy unless they'd killed someone, and that's what it was about. But he was he was somebody that they they could target. He was more vulnerable, um, and I think it's just almost like they'll do with this case, isn't it? They'll do. They're a bit different. We can see that. That's not the reason we're going to kill them, but they make a better victim for us. Is how how they would have perceived it. I'm sure. And we looked at the story of two young men who became embroiled in gang warfare in a Patreon episode a few years back. So Carlton Alvaranga and Richard Austin were shot dead in a pub 
after being forced to attempt an assassination. And Richard Austin's mum spoke out. Yeah, she was saying about how she tried her hardest to keep her son out of Moss Side and away from violence. But to her son, gang violence was just a part of life. Um, I'm sure this will remind you again, Mark, but it was that tale where the two young men holding their guns to the side like you see in a movie were shaking in fear as they were pushed out of a car into a pub to do the dirty work of someone else and their murders have never been solved. What happened with that then? Because I, I, I remember it and I remember it was it was one of the most uh, sort of weird tales we'd told because it didn't go the way you were thinking it was going to go. But what happened? So they, they were told they've got to do these commit these murders in this pub and they were then shot in the pub, yeah, is so that they, right? Yeah. They went into the pub having been forced to do this and they were really young. They didn't know what they were doing. But inside the pub, which it was like a Sunday lunchtime, it was families, yeah. it was ridiculous. And inside the pub, other people had guns and it was part of their assassination target was another gangster and their their kind of like boss had had like said about the hit. And then everyone just flooded out onto the, the green they came out and everyone just fled and there were no witness reports. The CCTV got removed. Nothing got reported to the police. But with them, it, it was that society where the mum even was trying to move her, her whole family away to keep him away from the gangs. But he just felt like that was his life and that was where he was supposed to be. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really, really interesting discussion point. I do agree with Robert and yourself that there has to be more behind the behaviours of these teens. Um, the fact that they were, according to their attackers, moshers, freaks, goths, it clearly had something to do with the assault. But yes, yeah. there, there's something, there was something within society around this time. It was not just this one case. And that, that is the overriding thing I'll take away from this episode. That's the interesting thing to me. What was it? What was it about that particular generation? And of course, the vast majority of that generation didn't behave like this. But there did seem to be a problem. In the mid to late noughties, there was this broken Britain. And there were yeah. a gr- there were multiple groups of people. We had lots of stories like this. And something must have fed into that that doesn't feed into it now and that didn't feed into it before. And I could do some digging and probably find out. Do you know what I mean? There's just clearly something, Mm -hmm. isn't there? There It is fascinating, yeah. I do wonder if it was almost the rise of social media and the rise of having more validation of of people around you and, you know, that kind of mob mentality. Different. I don't know. We should do a whole discussion about this, definitely. Yeah. In the aftermath of the attack, the goth or alternative community rallied to Sophie's family and donations were sent from around the world. Gigs and fundraising events took place in Sophie's name. People wanted to make a stand against violence and intolerance and the metal festival Bloodstock still has a stage named after her. I mentioned it briefly earlier, but I thought I'd go into a bit more detail now. So the Sophie Lancaster Foundation was set up and in 2009 was registered as a charity. So its aims are to create a lasting legacy to Sophie, to provide education to challenge the prejudice and intolerance towards people from alternative subcultures and to campaign to have the UK hate crime legislation extended to include people from alternative subcultures. So thanks in large kind of to Sophie's campaign, uh, Sophie's mum's campaigning, so Sophie's mum Sylvia, several police forces, including Greater Manchester, now do treat crimes against goths, punks and other alternative subcultures in the same way that they would do for a racist or homophobic attack. 
that that is an amazing thing, isn't it? And I'm sure that will hopefully extend to the the whole country rather than just specific police forces. And they are different. They are different crimes than to those people in LGBTQ plus community, for example, because that's not a choice. And dressing as what might be described as a goth is a choice. But equally, yeah, exactly, you, your race so a, or your sexuality yeah, isn't a yeah. Definitely. You have no choice over that. But um, but you still should not be punished for choosing to dress in a particular way or to have certain character traits. So I, I'm totally for this and I would love to see that rolled out across the whole country and hopefully it will at some point reach all police forces. This case for me really highlights the lasting impact on an event like this has on the people left behind and the people left mourning, kind of questioning the senselessness of that crime and people left worried about going about their own lives and it really kind of hits me when I think of my one of my best friends so she lost her best friend in a random attack after a night out and it was a couple of years ago so her best friend was beaten up and he lost his life in what was initially just a very minor altercation outside a fast food place he um had like was accused of bumping into somebody so whether he even did who knows but you know something as simple as that but it it ended with him losing his life and she's told me about how even though she wasn't there and she didn't even witness the event she was left with trauma from that loss she became incredibly nervous of being out and about where there were groups of people she didn't know but something that really helped her was to hear loads of people talk about how much her best friend had meant to them as well, little things that he'd done that meant he left a lasting impact on the local community. The fact that his funeral was so well attended, that really helped her with her grief and mourning him. And it feels to me like Sophie's family were in this same position too, hearing from and being supported by so many people across the world. And I kind of hoped to end on that slightly, slightly uplifting note. Yeah, I think it's the only note you can end on and it's, it's, it is a positive. Yeah, you're right. And we often see families campaign, don't we, in the wake of violent tragedy like this and, and they are able to go on and achieve huge things in, in the legacy of those that, that had to die. Yeah. So thank you very much, everybody, for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with another case. We will, but don't go anywhere just yet because. Yes, before we leave you this week, we want to take a couple of minutes more of your time and let you know that we are heading back to CrimeCon again this summer. I'm so excited. Yes, you can come and see us on Podcast Row. Once again, we're going to be there on the 10th of June. This is going to be our third time and we are as excited as we were the first time. It's an incredible weekend for any true crime fan. There's showcases from experts, talks from families of victims, the opportunity to talk to authors and members of law enforcement. There's demonstrations, activities, book signings and of course Podcast Row where you get to meet us and many other podcasters and also the chance to sit in on live recordings of podcasts and their shows. We're hoping to do another live show this year and it was... We were nervous, weren't we, before, but we absolutely kicked it out of the park and did a great job. We enjoyed it so much. It was so much fun. People who listen to our show week in, week out, and to sit facing them and tell a story was just one of the highlights of my entire life. So um, I'm sure we'll do that again. And we just basically take over the entire venue um, when it's crime con so you'll you'll see us all over the place but certainly we'll be on podcast row and most likely doing a live show too so crime con is headed back to london on the 10th and 11th of june 2023 
For your discounted ticket, please use our code RED and we will also be doing our usual and giving anyone who uses our code a goodie bag full of merchandise as well. And we'll even have a little drink with you in the bar. So please do think about joining (laughs) us and hundreds of other true crime fans at CrimeCon this June. 